Welcome to the Academy Football Network podcast. This episode we are joined by former Tottenham and Chelsea Academy coach, Saul Isaacson Hurst. Saul is a well-renowned one-to-one technical coach working with the country's brightest stars. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Isaacson, 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 Isaacson. 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 That's definitely like Swedish, like yeah. that part of the world. That's definitely hers. That must be here. <laughs> ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm here. This is what I'm, to be honest, I'm looking forward to this one the most. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've watched you for a long time. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah. I'm we have been watching. I watched you for a long time, and I've um, I've always kind of admired the one-to-one side of things. Yeah. And I don't think always the academy football get it always right. I don't think so personally. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's some good coaches, and I'm not so. Coaches. Yeah, you know, it's like anything. Yeah, and I think just watching you, and I appreciate work rate. I like watching like people work and yeah, how yeah. they go about their business. And yeah, appreciate that. I mean, Thank you're you. one of the hardest workers I've seen. And Thank you. The, academy, the, the, the um, the I think what hit me as well the, the lockdown. I'm going to the podcast now, but the <laughs> lockdown was like I was like, wow, yeah. this guy is. I'm seeing guys from like Brazil and other people saying they're using this app. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's class. I liked it's it. Good. I loved it a lot. Thank you. Okay, gonna make a start. <laughs> okay, welcome Academy Football Network podcast. Um, yeah, we're moving. We're, we're getting them in, and loads of great content. Um, loads of interesting people, and again today, someone who I think is moving the environment in terms of youth development and football um, initiatives, apps one-to-one coaching in, in environments in terms of the academy. Welcome, Sol Isaacson-Hurst. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. So, as I do at the beginning now, we run through this detailed history of youth development. We're talking USA, we're talking teacher, we're talking Spurs, both working in grassroots and academy, we're talking Chelsea, we're talking your own company in regards to PDA, we're talking uh, my personal coach, Ball Mastery app. Leads me to my question, where are we technically with youth talent? In this country? Yeah, let's let's start off in this country. Uh, I think we're a lot better than where we were when I started my career in academy football. I think looking at that, I still think there's uh, room to improve. I think there's sort of almost maybe a misunderstanding about what actual technical work is, Mm. for example. So if you look at the general type of technical work you see in academy football, it's pass, receive, a lot of ball striking. English football particularly is very direct generally, conventionally, no matter yeah. how quickly can you move the balls, hot potato, pass, 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 and especially yeah. now with, you know, Guardiola's great influence on the game, everything's a rondo, everything's possession, which is good, yeah. but I think you need to, I think we need to spend a little bit more time on individual possession rather than group possession and, and supporting players on staying on the ball, understanding how to 
receive the ball and stay on the ball under pressure. So that's almost working against the natural grain of most academy sessions where mm. it's about move the ball quickly. We're actually saying now, actually, can you try and stay on the ball a bit longer and challenge yourself and do something in those areas? And that's that's really it's a different way of looking at it. And, and sometimes it you have to be a bit braver because maybe it's, it's going to cost you some games or you maybe have an effect on the team performance. But it's about really how you measure success, I think, in terms of are you a player developer or are you a team developer? But, mm. you know, it's, it's a balance, it's a mix. I'm not trying, I'm not saying everything has to be, you know, dribble, 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 be crazy. It's about a balance. But for me, I think sometimes we're still missing a trip, particularly in the foundation phase in the early age groups in academy football, where sometimes we could be supporting players and developing that individual technique. I mean, this this is quite interesting in regards to the staying on the ball because the FA as well went for this quite kind of this strong sense of staying on the ball and being able to stay on the ball. What does staying on the ball look like? Like if I'm watching staying on the ball, what does that look like? Uh, I talk about it a lot, and we we look at players at the highest level, and you know, and, and players we we celebrate and 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 we we like to watch and give us you know those De Bruyne's, those Graylish, Graylish the season, yeah. Jack Graylish is doing so well, and that sort of bravery and bravado, or we'll call it on the ball. Yeah. Being able to get on the ball under pressure, stay on it, and and maybe you know make things happen. You know, yeah. look at Thomas Party the other night. What a complete midfielder he is! He can yeah. do all the work off the ball when he gets it. Yeah. You know, he can play forward, but sometimes it's about maybe taking an extra touch or you know an extra movement to maybe delay and then play forward. So it can look it looks different all around the pitch, whether mm. you're a ten or a four or even a, a defender or a fullback or a striker. But I mean, it's understanding how the importance of 1v1 domination really in player development. And if you look across Europe, the top academies in the world really, you know, the most prolific ones have that as a real key asset mm. to player development. And, and maybe here we don't have that as yet, but we, you know, we've still got a great system though. It's not saying it's not good. So yeah. where, where would you be with someone like Roy Keane? So Roy Keane was saying about Grealish, only because you brought up Grealish's name. Yeah. And I think, um, not Roy Keane, it was Graham Souness. And Graham Souness was like, reason why he gets fouled so much is because he holds on to the ball too long and he's just got he's just got to pass it. He's just got to pass it. Yeah, but yeah, listen, and you no, know, maybe he's he has got a point, but he does get fouled a lot there, and those sorts of players do, and we talk about that in Academy football all the time. Young players, you know, you are those sorts of players do get kicked, you know, especially in this country when it's about crash bang wallop, can you mm. smash it in, you know, people are celebrating diving headers on the floor, saving the penalty or whatever, more than their player maybe can beat a few players. So it's about having a balance, but it's about understanding, you know, really at the highest level, if you look at like the you know the, the top boys we were playing in Madrid and Barcelona and you know, the top clubs in the world. You know, we, I, was, I was fortunate to work at clubs where we wanted to develop Champions League players and that was the, that was the ambition and that's the desire and those are the assets those players have. So, you know, Modric, one of my favourite players growing up, I saw him when I was working at Spurs, fortunately, you know, that sort of player who's small, he's tired, but he's so good on the ball. He can protect the ball, he can beat players, his movements, his disguise, you know, those sorts of players have those assets. So whether you're, a, you know, a defender who's got to bring it out and protect and spend a bit of time on it or you're that you know or that wide player that classic wide player who's got to beat those players in all different positions all players have to have that ability these days and I think if you look probably back that's where probably the the main area that English football has been lacking at the highest level mm. now, even in the last World Cup you could arguably say when we looked against us against Croatia and our midfielders particularly like we just didn't couldn't keep the ball well enough control the game couldn't control the game well enough and you know you look you're playing against those some of the best midfielders in the world there you know and, and it's interesting to see why Croatia has such a prolific, you know, uh, record of producing those types of players. So it's interesting to look at that and and understand, you know, what are the prerequisites of playing at the highest level, and and, and you know, if we're gonna we want to 
uh, prepare or develop players at the highest level. We've got to give and try and support them in developing those. Are we getting better at it? Listen, 100%. Look, England's got one of the best youth development systems in the world now. You know, Germany come over to us now, you know, and say, well, how are you producing all these players? Mm. It's fantastic. You know, the... the E Triple P and the professionalisation of football has created an environment and also a perfect storm with like the, the work Dan Ashworth and Gareth Southgate did with the DNA project and Dan Chichi as well. Those guys who, you know, real tore up the the script, if you like, and the old way of English youth teams playing where it was really direct, physical based recruitment programme where we actually now we celebrated and looked for those small technical footballers and mm. played and Gareth Southgate introduced a modern way of playing football, mm. you know, which we were desperate for, you know, fortunately, and he did that. So that's reflected now in academy football. So did we've got some top players, but, you know, we still doesn't mean we still haven't got work to, to is, go. Has there been any trade-offs? Because I think about that now in terms of maybe another golden area because you're talking about maybe they're saying 2017 for youth development in regards to those England teams that won like two or three tournaments or I think it was four tournaments yeah. in regards to 20s and 17s and 90s they all won a, a kind of a major competition and now we're kind of seeing a kind of this golden era of ball masters really yeah. and, and staying on the balls like what you're talking about do we then lose the other side of the game in regards to maybe in years before where we defend, where we produce good defenders, good passing yeah, passing balls? You think about yeah. someone like David Beckham, you go and he was an excellent passer. Do we lose those players now? I think you're still getting the passes and those sort of things, but I think there's definitely an issue around defenders. Yeah. It's an unusual sort of moment where you know we just used to be our main strong point where we could only produce defenders. <laughs> <laughs> We're amazing, you know. You know, all those Ferdinand Terry and you know Sol Campbell, those guys. But it's yes, yeah, it's, it's unusual, and maybe it is because of the environment and the way we're playing now, and it's yeah. all a bit too ticky tacky. What people might generalise it as, and there's not enough, you know, battling or you know, why are there no those those natural defensive leaders. But you know, it's uh, if I had to go one way, I'd still come back this way. You know, yeah, we all, we all want to see Foden's those sorts of players. And, let's be honest, you know we all mean? like. And, yeah, we like a good tackle sometimes, but yeah, actually listen, we like people who can yeah, stay on the ball, exactly. excite us but on the you ball. Know, and I say, you, you know, and it takes fo footballs. What's great about football? It's all shapes and sizes, and you know, different sorts of personalities and different sorts of players. That's why mm. you need that mix. Mm. Um, but it's you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it? So, I mean, just looking at your your background in terms of you you working, you've come from America teacher as well in terms of education so you kind of learn as well through being in an education environment I feel you kind of learn the process or the pathway in terms of learning for a young yeah. person which I think is great um, I'm not saying all coaches need to go into teaching but it's, it's nice when you can see that contrast of support in terms of youth development through <laughs> from a teacher's lens um, then you probably work in the two of the I would argue two in the top five leading academies in so if you're talking Spurs who've produced loads of players over the years um, through youth pathway into the first team or definitely within the game then Chelsea you could argue probably one of the leading uh, youth developers yes Man City won the youth cup and they kind of you kind of there's kind of that kind of Everyone looks at the youth cop as how well your academy's doing, really, don't they? I don't know yeah. why, but different people have di different indicators of whether or not it's doing well. But often, is that's that's kind of looked at. Then you go into your own PDA. Tell us about that. Well, actually, I started. I went to America after uni and started my coaching career there. Did two years there, and yeah. then came back and. Everyone was doing privates if you're out there. You know, you coach and then you do some, someone asks you to do some one-to-one. -one so is that, is that quite big in America? Is huge. That, I mean, that's where it really came yeah. from. The culture, there's everyone, you know, parents are busy, if you like, or keen, yeah. keen yeah. as mustard, as they say. But yeah. So doing that, I came back, I was like, that's interesting. And I came back and actually started 
running camps, yeah. but doing one to one as well. Yeah. And I soon came to realize that camps were a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Saturated market, you know, it's snowing, no one turns up. And then I was doing one to ones, it's great, you know. Yeah. Very little. Uh, liability in terms of overheads and like facility hires and stuff like that and I just sort of moved into it and I, and I sort of was fortunate but I, I sort of got a reputation rather quickly for supporting players into academy football so training them up and getting them trials and getting them successful through trials and sort of made my and sort of made a reputation there and then also got some players into the academy so like so a couple, some, a couple of big players as well so then that sort of eased me into the academy as well so I was mm. quite fortunate how did you build that network? Sorry, how did you build that network from having the boys supporting them individually to then being able to obviously facilitate them? Well, I was, to the, yeah, the well, I was lucky. Well, I came back. That's the other thing. So I came back and from my America, and I got a job at the foundation at, or the community scheme, as it was called then, and worked in schools and stuff like that. Very lucky at the time then as well when John McDermott had taken over and he sort of was saw the value of having you know you know hundred or so coaches in this community and trying to get them integrate integrated yeah so then we became parts of the development centers and stuff like that and we were encouraged to talent spot basically yeah. we got brought into see sessions and showing the level and stuff like that and and then did and what was expected so that was you know my way in if you like very fortunate good timing and, and my, my sort of first is that something that we missed the trick I think you probably find at the the higher level that you're talking about, maybe the Category 1 clubs, it's such a big organisation in terms of an academy where maybe that same community feel linked to the academy probably happens at, you, uh, I don't, don't want to say the, the, the lower category, so to uh, be. Yes, it's interesting because Chelsea did the same thing just when I was leaving. They started integrating the, the community a lot more and trying to encourage the coaches to come in and see the level and getting more coaches sort of, uh, recruiting coaches from now as well that became like a route for coaching into the yeah. academy which is and, but I mean so it seems like a no brainer isn't it you've got all these coaches on the ground they're all wearing the same badge and they're mm. seeing hundreds of thousands of players every week mm. you know spotting these sort of the gems so I think more and more clubs are going down that going down that route and it was a good fortune for me so that gave me my foot in the door and my opportunity to go and then get a development centre and then my way into like the academy get the under mm. nine job my first academy job so best age group days. Fresh, lively, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. So much fun. That first, that first year coaching Nines Academy Light. I remember my first game. I assisted because uh, when Danny Buck was there, this was before I took. This was a season before, and uh, playing Arsenal with Hale End. It was like amazing. It was like that was uh, Georgie Marsh's year and all those boys. And it's like it was like they were going at it. Yeah, it was yeah. like wow. Under fun, fun, fun energy. Just intensity. It was yeah. like this was a proper London like, scrap tear up derby. <laughs> Under nine, it was great. It was amazing, and it was like, yeah, and it was like this is fun. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so yes, yeah, it's great. So I mean, just talking about that in terms of you coming back and having your own sort of, I want to say the start of your kind of one to one culture um, developing from America. Why one to one coaching? Why in terms of now I'm I go to say for example I played in academy for example. I'm a under 10s. Why do I need one-to-one coaching on top of, I've got the best coaches, arguably, the most qualified coaches, arguably. Why do I need a one-to-one coach as well? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for me, it's like, look, the best players in the world always do more. Mm. So like, if you're in an academy, for example, you're training three times a week and then you're playing a game. That's not enough training. So whether you're doing something with me or you're doing something by yourself, you should be doing some more work. Mm. Obviously, have another night, do another sport, but you need to be, you know, working hard. It's such a competitive market, mm. you know, and the chances of, of progressing are very low. If you want to be, you, you know, you've got to be competing to be one of the best players in your squad or, or aspire to be one of the best players in your team. 
and then you know and progressing up and that's the reality I mean that's the harsh reality of the of the industry so you know you want to you know the more work you put in the you know the better you are and that's just the basic reality is like anything else in life basically so the thing I offer is you know my the way I look at things is a little bit different and that's, that's fortunate because I offer something different to what academies offer in terms of the technical work which I talked about mm. and that individual stuff so like you know over the years you know I've been doing this for nearly 20 years now you know, I've worked with players from all the all the academies mm. you know some from even from the north and they say the same thing you know we don't get this at the academy this type of work you mm. know because it is and, and and you know I've been there I know how difficult it was particularly in my last club you know the expectation is that you know you're judged on the Sunday you know how your team play and the mm. pressure as well. well if I you know if I'm going to coach my team to play possession and play really quickly you know we win the game that looks really great it looks like a pretty game of football in mm. reality actually you know that actually can be potentially going the other way you know and actually taking the individual work away from players that's what I was saying it could be detrimental exactly to the it is you know and unless it, you get it right within academies exactly. of course and they do um, yeah, listen, and it's about balance so like it's, I was fortunate you know I worked under Chris Ramsey we talked about you know we were chatting earlier he, for me you know, probably one of the best player developers I've ever seen I worked for amazing and he was just you know he just he was just said look it's all about the individual I don't want to see any pretty games of football none of this like defending all from corners all this rubbish just go out there make it like a playground environment mm. and that's what we did there in terms of you know just players lots of little small sided lots of little battles 1v1 sort of gladiator type things make it like that you know playground you know in a city you know sort of cage type environment mm. and you get such amazing type outcomes in you know and it might take a little bit longer for players to get to that sort of team thing. But when you get to 11s, and I saw this myself, when you get to 11s, because I took the 11s as well, it's so much easier then to trade possession and one, two, two touch, because they're technically so amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can pop it, but they can also break the line with the with the pass, or they can break the line with the, the ball trouble. at the feet. And that yeah. is priceless for yeah. players, do you know what I mean? So whether they're going to end up as a right back or a striker, that's the difference. You know what I found at that, that level, so was managing some of the parents. So at the nines and tens, they would always say, they don't pass the ball to my son. And I'll be thinking, okay, but you're still trying to develop individuals. How did you manage that? Or did it even come well, up? Well, it's difficult because at Spurs, it was almost like we were just like extremists because it was yeah. just like, don't pass. You know, we don't want you to pass. It's, it's just like, just go for it. Yeah. But, you know, we play 6v6, small-sided format, and, it, you know, just loads of turnovers anyway. And, you know, we'd end up, you know, small pitch. You know, interesting, we don't end up winning most games anyway because the players are so good in those sort of tight situations. But you just sort of say, you've got to play, just go and get on the ball, encourage it. Look, some players want to move it anyway, and that's fine because they naturally want to do that. So you just say, look, you got to make the decision. You do what you want to do, but you know, can you sort of, you know, try and find a way to solve the problem yourself? That's the main thing. This is mm. what this work's all about. So, you know, for instance, I'm lucky. I do a lot of travelling around the world and present at like conferences, and I see, you know, I work with players, and I do like a two v two game, for example, and you know, you notice that players, you know, they're just looking always up for the pass, which is, f f which is fair enough. But sometimes you've got to say. When you put them in those one v one duels, I want you to solve that problem yourself. Mm. That's the real, you know. Good player, the better players the are player. generally good decision so makers can, or problem yeah, solvers. I do it, or I can, you know, and it doesn't have to be. I've got a dribble pass and you know, do ten step overs or whatever. It might just be a little little cut outside boom and then play, you know, play through or whatever. So it looks different for all types of players, but everyone sort of, you know, will be a better player if they have that ability. Basically, mm. what was the? Because I always love playing Tottenham. That was my favourite game at Palace. Tottenham, that was the best game. <laughs> we had a lot of boys that were like the state boys. So they enjoyed yeah. the, the kind of, we call it sticky foot. This just don't pass the ball. It's <laughs> dribble. Um, so with that being said, what was the move? Because Tottenham sounds perfect for you. Tottenham sounds like the perfect place to be at. Like, I mean, the, the, the ethos there is to a lot of one-to-one -one stuff. I'm not... Uh, 
too sure on the Chelsea philosophy, but it seems a bit more team orientated. Like, what what was the thing? Why did you want to maybe <coughs> leave? Yeah, I think it was like we were. It's like funny working under Chris. You thought you were almost, you know, following through the gates of hell. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, yes, Chris, whatever you say, like you know, just because he was such a, you know, idealist, and um, we were all sort of fed off that. Chris moved up basically, and then went to work with the twenty threes and became less involved in the academy. And then there was a slight change in culture. the tone and the atmosphere and the culture. But I was still an idealist, and then suddenly I was getting involved in battles I shouldn't be or didn't need to be. Uh, fortunately, an opportunity came up because I knew I, I I I always wanted to work at Chelsea because I was very ambitious. And when you go there, you know this is the times and before Tottenham's new ground. You go to Cobham, and it's just this is amazing. And as as you say, Chelsea are were and probably still are the biggest players on the block in academy football. Man City are now trying to catch them, and it's a, in terms of investment, no one gets near Chelsea and Man City. So it was always my 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 ambition to work there because I wanted to challenge myself and be the best coach I could be. And I'd done, you know. Almost, you know, almost ten years at the club, but like you know, five six years in the academy, whatever. And I thought, and the opportunity came up, and I thought, and the, and the time is right. Chris had left, and I thought this I could do that, and it was, you know, it was a great opportunity. So it's too good an opportunity to turn down, really. Um, but in answer to your question, yeah, it was different, a very different culture, very different methodology, like really different. And uh, funny because it took me a while to adapt. And now uh, I was, uh, I was when I first started taking the nines, for example, Sampa, and you know, Sampa Chibli is like one of my best friends, it's still one of my best friends, but <laughs> we were sort of clashing. I was like, no, I want to do everything in tight, small spaces. He's like, no, we do everything in big spaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I run, like, get them to run. Free. He's like, no, we're doing 77s. <laughs> I was like, nah, yeah, and it was like we had a bit of a clash, but then it was almost, it improved me as a coach so much because I learned their way, which is fantastic as well. So I was very like tunnel vision in terms of everything had to be tight spaces, 1v1 ball marks, and then that was a different way of doing things. Learning how they did things really improved me because it's a top, top academy. So obviously I brought my little bit in there as well and I helped change that, introduce a bit more ball mastery and 1v1 and that sort of thing, but learned a lot in terms of what they did for me. But yeah, it was definitely a different philosophy and they were, it was a bit more team orientated and a lot more possession and quick play and stuff. But then my my real challenge was about how can I get that, you know, those still those 1v1 outcomes as well and that sort of thing. But it was amazing privilege working at a club because I always say it like that, the culture there was like in, so intense. Like their 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 like their intention to be the best academy in the world, and the expectations were really high. So it was such a great challenge. I really mm. thrived off that, and it was, it was a really great club to work for. Thank you for listening. Join us on our clubhouse every Thursday at 8 p.m. London time. Part two out 18th of February. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.